We continue with our studies through the book of Romans. And uh, last time I preached, um, the sermon did not quite end at verse 4, so we will pick up from there. And so this would be uh, the second or the uh, second part of the same sermon, uh, no condemnation, from Romans chapter 8, verse 2, or rather 3 to 4. So kindly turn there. Let's read verse 1 through verse 11. Please hear the word of God. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By setting his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live on, uh, on the things of the Spirit, excuse me, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also Give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Let us pray. Lord, we've come to hear your word. And our prayer is just as we've sung. Master, speak, your servant heareth, waiting for your blessed word. Please, Lord, we plead. Grant that none of us will depart having not heard from you. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Once again, there, therefore, there is now no condemnation from God for anyone who is in Christ Jesus. Christians are not under the wrath and curse of God. Because of Christ. And so we can sing, Bold shall I stand in that glorious day. Bold shall I stand in that gr glorious day. For who ought to my chance shall lay? Fully absorbed through this I am. I am absorbed from sin and fear. I am absolved from guilt and shame. Before 
the throne of God above, we say, I have a perfect plea. A strong and perfect plea. The great high priest, whose name is the great I am. Whoever lives and pleads for me. This is the songs that we sing. These are the songs of our faith. This is what we believe. So there is no condemnation whatsoever for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I can, I can preach 10 sermons on this statement. No condemnation. And it will be the balm of Gilead for any, uh, any, any child of Zion. You would love it every time hearing that you're not condemned, won't you? Or as soon as you saw the title, you said, ah, he's at it again. No. We love to hear that we are not condemned because we know that we deserve condemnation. So I repeat, there is therefore now no condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So last time we asked the question, why? Why is there now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? And I already pointed out to you two reasons. I know it's a month ago, but I'm going to ask you, what are the reasons? Why isn't there no condemnation for you today? Yes? Because? 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 We are not moving. You have to tell me because. Why is it that we, there is no condemnation from verse 1? You have to have your Bibles open. Not quite. That's not verse 1. Because we are Christ Jesus. Because we are in Christ Jesus. Repeat. Yes. Thank you. Why isn't there no condemnation in the second place from verse 2? Because we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You've forgotten. It's only a month ago. Because you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible says. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. Verse 2 repeats verse 1 when it says in Christ Jesus. But the emphasis of verse 2 is that the law of the spirit of life has set you free. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. And thirdly, there is now no condemnation because of God, what God the Father has done. What has he done? What has God the Father done? He has sent he has sent his own son. 
and he has done what the law weakened by our flesh could not do. He has condemned sin, the flesh. So you can see that the outline is right there on the text. But the third reason why there is now no condemnation is found at the end of verse 4. Because of what we've become. What have we become? We walk. Are you looking at your Bibles? We walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Thank you for participating. Now the question is, who shall condemn us now when we, have, we are well armed with those four reasons? Who can condemn us now? We're seeing, since Christ has died and risen and gone above, for us to plead at the right hand of love, it is God who justifies. Who shall recall the pardon or, or love or grace? Or who the broken chain of guilt replace? It is God who justifies. Therefore, no one can condemn. That's what we're seeing. So we've already established that these first two verses make it very clear that we are well secured in Christ. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, there is no condemnation. And this is the confidence with which we come to the next two verses. Because the next two verses assures us of what God has done for us and what he has made us to be. Why is it that we can confidently believe that there is now no condemnation? Two reasons. Or rather, this is the third reason. But the first for this sermon. Because of what God, that is the Father, has done. Why do we say the Father? Because the Father sent the Son. And what has God done that makes us to be told that there is now no condemnation of us one? The Bible says that for God has done what the law, wicked by our flesh, wicked by the flesh, could not do. What has he done? By setting his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned the sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. That's a long statement, isn't it? But it's a good statement. It's an important statement. Because it clearly tells us what God the Father has done. What has he done? What he has done, the law could not do. What he has done, our wicked flesh could not do. What he has done, the law and our flesh combined could not do. And what has he done? He has sent his son 
in the flesh. He has sent his son in the flesh. And you can underline his son in the flesh. Because you see, God the Father would have condemned us because of our sins. Right? That's what we deserved. But God the Father has condemned someone else. Who is that? Who has been condemned? Look at the Bible clearly. What does it say? Who has been condemned? Thank you. It is sin that has been condemned. And how has the sin been condemned? Yes? It, it has been condemned in the flesh of his son for us. We know that God loved the world. John 3.16 God loved the world and sent his only son. Why? So that whoever believes should not perish but have eternal life. And last time I asked you, and what does verse 18 say? God's love is demonstrated in the setting of his son even before we know what the son came to do. So why did God send his son? God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through the son. That's John 3.18. You need to know it as well. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And how did he send his son? How did God send his son? He sent his son in the flesh. In the flesh. And so John writes in John chapter 1 verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only son, full of grace and truth. The eternal Son of God, the Word, was born of a woman. He became incarnate in the flesh. He took our nature. He became like us in the flesh. Because the Bible says in Hebrews 2.17, For he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. That's Hebrews 2.17. God sent his son in the flesh. For we know that the eternal son of God became man and so was and continues to be God and man 
in two distinct natures and one person forever. We know that there is one God and there is only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave his life as a ransom for all. And why did God send the Son in the flesh? The Bible again tells us. Why did God the Father send the Son in the flesh? It was in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be met in the flesh. The righteous requirement of the law might be met in the flesh. The Father has condemned sin in the flesh so that we can now pursue holiness and walk according to the Holy Spirit. Please note that Paul's use of law in verse 3 does not refer to a governing principle as used in verse 2. Remember last time I pointed out to you that in verse 2, the word law is used to mean a governing principle, the law of sin, or the principle of sin. In verse 3, it does not refer to a governing principle, but it refers to the moral law. It refers to, for God has done what the moral law could not do. The Ten Commandments. Now, the law has power to require us what to do, but it doesn't give us the power to do it. So the law, the Bible says, was weakened by the flesh. What does this mean? The law was weakened by the flesh. Is a phrase there. What is this importance of the law? See, the importance of the law to enable us to do what it requires is underscored here correctly. And clearly, now it's not to say that there is anything wrong with the law, okay? Whatever is wrong is in our flesh. It is weakened by our flesh. And the weakness was in its inability to give us the power, to give the flesh the power to obey it. So, the flesh is a reference to our own human limitation. The weakness is in us. Therefore, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to enable us keep the law. And thankfully, God has intervened. God has graciously intervened for us by giving us His well-beloved Son, the gift of gifts, all other gifts in one. So the Son is able to do what we could not do while in our sinful flesh. Let us again consider the deed of God for us. And it is that setting his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. Mark that language very well, because if you don't understand that language, you're likely to be a heretic. How did God send his son? 
it is in the likeness of sinful flesh and you note that it, he did not send his son in sinful flesh. He did not send his son in sinful flesh. How did he send him? In the likeness of sinful flesh. This is a reference to the birth of Christ because we know that Jesus was always God. We know that Jesus is God-man. God, uh, Jesus is God. Jesus is man. Always holy. And he lived a, perfect, a, a perfectly righteous life while under the law. And so in the womb of the Virgin Mary, Jesus took upon himself a human nature. And being the eternal son of God, he became man. And so was and continues to be God and man in two distinct natures and one person forever. But in this condition of flesh, in this condition of uh, the, in the likeness of sinful flesh, the Bible says he condemned sin in the flesh and gave us the power over the law by his righteousness. But that phrase of God setting his son is not actually a reference to the birth of Jesus Christ. It's not about his incarnation. It is about God setting his son or God giving his son to die as an atoning sacrifice for sin. So God sent for this beloved son to deal with sin, to condemn sin in the flesh. And, and his victory over death at the cross of Calvary and his resurrection from the grave of Joseph of Arimathea was the stamp of approval of his sacrifice as the means by which sin is condemned. His victory over death was the stamp of approval over his victory over sin and over death. So the restless sinful flesh was overcome by Christ. That's what the Lord did. He condemned Sin in the flesh. And then secondly, at that point, his son condemned sin in the flesh. It is interesting to note that the word condemned sin in verse 3 is the exact word as used in verse 1. So when we read that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, it's not to say that there is no condemnation whatsoever for anyone or anything. It's not to say that. Because the word condemned sin in the flesh is that very same word in verse 1, whereby we are told there is now no condemnation. So whereas there is now no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus, 
there is condemnation. And where does the condemnation lie? That is for us still. It's within our circles. Where does the condemnation lie? Sin is condemned. Can you see that? So we are not condemned, but sin is not condoned. Sin is condemned. We deserved condemnation for our sins. Instead, God condemned sin for those who are in Christ. So there is now no condemnation for believers, but there is condemnation for their sins. Can you see that? God overdrew the power of sin in the life of every one of his children. Amen? By his son. So Jesus had to take our place, walk in our shoes, feel our skin, know our emotions, our heartaches, our pains, our sorrows, our temptations, our fallen world, and contend with our enemies, sin, the world, the devil, and death itself. This was in order to deliver us from the power of sin, so that sin can be condemned in the flesh. The Father placed it upon His Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, so that we could be delivered from both the condemnation and the power of sin in our daily lives and live for Him. So Jesus Christ's own condemnation by the Father on the Roman cross was the demonstration that our own sins were condemned. And that's why we sing, we sing it, was our, it was my sins that held him there until it was all accomplished. The Father condemned sin in the flesh of our Savior and thus satisfied the Lord's demands. His son condemned sin in the flesh. And so our sins are condemned. Our sins are condemned. Our sins are condemned. Secondly, there is now, there is therefore now no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus because of what we've become. What have we become? Us. Us. Who is the us there? Us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. I like it how the Bible has both the not, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. You know how easy it is for us to say that we are walking in the spirit when we are really walking in the flesh. So if you're walking in the flesh, and we need to know what that means, then you're not walking in the spirit. Those two are mutually exclusive. They do not sit on the same boat. They cannot be in the same WhatsApp group. The walking in the flesh and walking in the spirit, no, they, they cannot greet. No hardship here. Between walking in the flesh and walking in the Spirit. Those two cannot walk together. 
They cannot agree. So the earth is well defined with the fact that we do not walk or live according to the flesh. That is, we do not live fulfilling our fleshly appetites. We do not gratify the flesh. We do not live according to the, to the, to the whims of our flesh. Or do we? Do we? Yes? We better not. We cannot say that we have we are not under condemnation and yet walk in the flesh. But you see, for some of us walking according to the spirit and walking according to the flesh is a very thin line. Very, very thin line. And so, when I ask the question, are we walking according to the flesh? There is a very flimsy, very flimsy uh, disapproval. You're not so sure. We need a brother Eliud to say no, so that we can get there. Walking according to the flesh and walking according to the spirit cannot belong together, dear brothers and sisters. So what does walking according to the flesh mean? I already told you. It is to live to fulfill your fleshly appetites. You know those things that you like. You know, you know how you want to show yourself either as rich or as beautiful. You know where your pride gets you, don't you? You know where it does. You know those, those things that, you know, massage your ego. And those things that you like. And you like to be referred in a particular way. And you like to be pampered and be regarded by others in a special way. And you like others to bow down to you like Haman of old. Those fleshly appetites that you gratify cannot fit in with your walk according to the Spirit. And so whatever you decide, whatever decision you make, you need to always ask yourself, is this according to my flesh or is this according to the Spirit of God? Will the Spirit of God approve you posting that photo with your lovely dress that hugs you? Will the Spirit approve that? Now, many friends may like your photo on Instagram or on Facebook. But will the Spirit of God say, good stuff? Yes? I don't know whether we think like that at all. 
Now, I constantly go to social media because it helps us know those internal processes of the mind. You know, you take hold of your photo, you look for all those filters, and then you post. And then you have your many, many likes. What are you thinking? What are you thinking? That's walking according to the flesh. Because I can assure you the spirit will not be smiling. And uh, one of the things that the word of God does now is to sharpen your conscience so that when you do that, you know, something is going on in your mind and you're asking these critical questions and wanting to know whether I'm doing the right thing. Spreading my honors or spreading the honors of Christ. You look at your budget. Look at how you spend your salary, how you spend your money. You know, someone was telling me that some men in Nairobi will have pizzas every week once they get hold of their salary. And then when they are gone, they go back to buying Mahindi's choma, Kobarabara. So gratify the flesh for as much as you can. And then when you can't, you leave it. Fulfilling fleshly appetites. And it's not just in the clothes you wear and the way you use the social media and the way you spend your money. It's also by uh, how you spend your time. Whereas the millennials will be strolling down their social media accounts, uh, those who will be older will be spending time perhaps watching football. Oh, it's Commonwealth, right? And while you have the time to wait and wait for, um, oh, what's the name of the fastest guy in Africa? Omanyala, thank you, Omanyala. You have the time to wait for him to come and run. Wait and wait and wait and wait. All the while that day you didn't do your devotion. True? Fulfilling our fleshly appetites. You haven't read the Bible. And you have the time to spare to watch the Commonwealth Games. Now, the Commonwealth Games are not sinful in and of themselves. But then we are asking, okay, put, put what you've done today with your so-called free time uh, versus what, you know, spiritual things and uh, other things. Which carries the day? What carries the day? Is it walking according to the flesh? Or according to the spirit. Because you realize that the, the, this, this is the same skill. It is according. It's the same word. You walk according. Either to the flesh or you walk according to the spirit. It's the same skill. So let's, let's put what you did yesterday on the skill and see what you accomplished. Whether it was according to the flesh or according to the spirit. 
And you can do that every time. And the question then is, are the righteous requirements of the law being fulfilled in us? Are they? God the Father gave us his son and he condemned sin in the flesh. But he also empowered our obedience. Because we read in verse 4 that the Father did this so that the righteous requirements, the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And that statement gives the purpose for which God the Father did all that he did from verse 1 to verse 4 in Christ. And the good news of our faith is this, that God supplies the righteousness that he requires by his son. Did you hear that? God supplies the righteousness he demands by his son. So you can see where you study if you're not in his son. Where do you stand? Nowhere. Oh, well, you do. You stand somewhere in the flesh, walking according to the flesh. And while it is true that God still requires righteousness of his adopted children, yet this righteousness is supplied freely, graciously, by his son. This is a beauty. And this is why the gospel is so sweet and the grace is so amazing. It's that God supplies the very requirements that he demands by his son freely. So in the fullness of time, Jesus was born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under, under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Our redemption includes obtaining the righteousness of Christ so that the Father regards us as righteous as his son is righteous. And the righteousness of Jesus Christ is freely, graciously imputed to us, from Christ to us. And so the Bible says, for our sake, God made him to be seen who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So what does that tell you to be and to do? We must live righteously. We have to. We must live righteously. There is still the requirement of the law in our Christian living. Look at this image in the book of Exodus. <clears throat> the children of Israel are in age Egypt, being tormented by their masters. Nothing is working out for them. They are groaning in pain of slavery. And then God saves them by his righteous, omnipotent hand. He takes them by destroying Egyptians and he crosses them through the Red Sea, parting the sea, and then he brings them to Mount Sinai. And it's at that point that he gives them the law. It's the same way for us. Before you were saved, 
God's law could not be kept and God did not require you to keep his law so that he may save you. And if you're not saved, you're not here to be told, do A, do B, do not do C, do not do D. We are not attached like that, that tell you, do this and do that and do this and do that. No, so that you may be saved. We tell you, Christ Jesus has done it all. Believe in him and you will live. Now, having been saved, having been saved freely by his grace, you become God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Ephesians 2.10. That's what you become. So we must live righteously. There is still the requirement of the law in our Christian living. So we follow we live in obedience to the Ten Commandments. We are not free to live however we want in the flesh. Because the righteous requirement of the law must be fulfilled. Where? In us. The righteous requirement of the law must be fulfilled in us. We are not antinomians. We are not antinomians. We don't hate the law of God. We know that the law of God is good and holy and righteous altogether, isn't it? The righteous requirements of the law must be fulfilled in us or lived out. That is, to be fulfilled in us means it must be lived out in our Christian lives. To be fulfilled means that holiness is realized in our lives, through our obedience to the law of God. Righteousness is found in us because we are in Christ. We must live to please God and not to gratify the flesh. We now live by the enabling power of the Holy Spirit who now dwells in us. The law of God has been written on our hearts. The law is being realized and fulfilled in us as we live in obedience to what God requires. And the Spirit of God is constantly convicting us of our sins and convincing us to follow Christ without wavering. God commands us to show our love for Him with all our hearts and mind and strength and by, and by not having other gods before Him. He is the only object of our worship and adoration. We therefore cannot regard anyone or anything else more than God. No graven images. We cannot be irreverent before God so as to, to use his name in vain. God is still God. And God's time is still God's time. Sabbath keeping shows that we are headed to heaven where he is. Where still remains the Sabbath rest for God's people? Hebrews 4.9 We are to honor and obey our parents in the Lord, for this is right. We are not to kill or hate anyone. We are not to be immoral or impure in our thoughts in any way. We are not to steal anyone's property or time. We are not to be covetous 
because, because that is idolatry. We are not to be liars. I saw recently a summary of the Ten Commandments, Ten Words, write them. The first commandment is on religion. The, the second commandment is on worship. So religion, is it true religion? Worship, is it pure worship? And then the, the third commandment is on reverence. The fourth commandment is on time. The fifth commandment is on authority. The sixth commandment is on life. The seventh commandment is on purity. The eighth commandment is on tongue or words. And the tenth commandment is on contentment. So, very easy to remember. Religion, worship, reverence, time, authority, life, purity, property. Sorry, I, I, I think I skipped property. Property, so that you don't steal the Eighth Commandment. And then there is tongue, or words, and contentment. Easy to remember. The Bible is a book that reveals God to us. But the Bible is also a book that tells us what God requires of his children. We know how to live in heaven from the Bible. We know how to live in heaven while we are, not, while we are on earth from the Bible. We know that one day we will be by our Father's side from, uh, while in heaven. And we know how we, he shall be pleased with us. As I finish, let me say three things. Number one, verse one says there is therefore now no condemnation. So Christians do not live in fear of the day of death or judgment. We are not afraid of facing God at the judgment seat. We shall appear there. We know we shall appear. For the Bible says we must all appear. Before the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 10. But we shall be declared not guilty. And there will be no condemnation for us. Why? Because of one name. The name of Jesus Christ. We thus are not afraid of death. We do not live in doubt regarding our eternal destiny. Because... We have trusted in the ultimate judge of the universe, Jesus Christ. He has acquitted us on the account of his own person and work. He has forgiven us our sins on the basis of the payment of the penalty of our sins by himself. He is satisfied. God the just is fully satisfied to look on him and pardon me. He has satisfied the demands of the law. Salvation has been accomplished. So, come, rejoice now, O my soul, for Christ's love 
is now my reward. Fear is gone. Hope is sure. Christ is mine forevermore. Amen. And the second thing I want to say is that praise God for such a mighty salvation in a son. Praise God. Look at what God has done in setting his son and the great salvation that has been accomplished. He is worthy of all praises. We must remember to praise God every day of our life. Every breath that we take in, we must praise the Lord and thank him for dealing with us so, so graciously. And we should be those who sing, redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through his infinite mercy, his child, and forever I am. How much do you sing to the Lord? You know, some of you sing only when you come to church, and that's why you must not miss church. I'm serious. Some people don't sing within the week. Don't sing. They don't read the Bible. They don't pray. You wonder what kind of Christians are there. But I'm especially concerned for you who do not sing praises to God. You need to travel with me. I'm serious. Please, let's sing praises to God. And some of you sing secular music, by the way. I think you do, don't you? I mean, how can you afford to sing secular music when you haven't praised God enough? That's where secular music is bad, because it denies you an opportunity to sing praises to God. Also loved you. And so there are people here, I'm not naming them, but they cannot sing to God be the glory uh, uh, without the hymn book. That's how serious it is. There are people seated here today, they cannot sing to God be the glory without a hymn book. So would you go today and say, I don't want to be like those people. I don't want to be, you know, the one that pastor preached against today, who cannot sing to God be the glory without the hymn book. If there is one song that you must learn how to sing without a hymn book, it is to God be the glory. Because you must praise him who loved you. Gave you his wealth, love, and son. And lastly, I take a deep breath as I come to the last point because you see, the title of the sermon is No Condemnation. But do you think that's true of every one of us here today? Yes? 
Can that be said of all of you who are here in this room or who are listening to this sermon? No condemnation? There are unbelievers in our midst. We are thankful to God that you came. I'm very glad that you came to hear this word. And whereas it is true that there is now no condemnation, that's only true to those who are in Christ Jesus. You're not. So, the word is there is now condemnation for you because you're not in Christ Jesus. Are you listening? So I would like you to do this. Pause. And ask the question. Are you ready to meet God? Have you been made a real Christian? Have you been washed in the Redeemer's blood? If you've never posed in your life to ask the question, please do so this morning, right now. Pause. Ask the question. Are you ready to meet God? Do you have this union with Christ. You know, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is this union with Christ. Do you have this union with Christ? With the church's living hand? Are you in Christ? Have you been quickened by his spirit? Are you born again? Are you born again, is the question. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Why are you not trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ? Why do you keep on delaying? And you delay and you delay. You procrastinate. You procrastinate. Again and again. So please, hear this. Today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. You have heard God's voice. I know he has used me, my, my mouth, but really you've heard God's voice. Please, please, please do not harden your heart. In rebellion. Do not. Do not harden your heart in rebellion. Do not leave this place without Jesus Christ. So meanwhile, we want to, we want to rise up and ask the question and sing this song. Pause and ask the question. If you've never asked, answered that question, please don't stand up. Remain seated and ask the question. And then we will sing. Pause. And ask the question, are you ready to meet God?